Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 115 for October 25th, 2007, Perfect Paper Passwords. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds On Site, looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds On Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. It's time for Security Now with everybody's favorite security guy, his our guru, our man about security, Mr. Steve Gibson. And Steve, I have to ask you, uh, with all the fires down in the Southland, I'm worried about you. Are you, are you okay down there in Irvine? Well, the good, yeah, the good news is I'm really close to the water, so... You know, I can jump in if Could I you? need to. I don't know if that's that was much reassurance for the folks in Malibu, but I'm I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, so I the fires that, aren't near you; they're not in your area, or they're not near me. But I've been wondering about Elaine, who's oh, d- that's right, no, she's in the grasslands there. She's, huh? I think she is. Um, I I just came back from a quick run to Starbucks to refill my my trusty Starbucks thermos, and I noted that our mail delivery guy was wearing a white surgical mask oh, over his it's face. A little smoky out there. So, you know, he's a public servant and out in the yeah. air all day. Yeah. And But, I mean, it is definitely weird. It felt on Sunday sort of like the end of the world. It was yeah. so dark in the middle of the day. And, in fact, even today, they, the, I was able to look at the sun for the first several hours of it coming up i mean after i mean like up above the horizon it was a dark red ball because there's just so much smoke in the air so and uh, i had heard earlier that it was half a million people apparently more now it's more like 800 and some plus thousand people have been evacuated from their homes that's just awful just terrible so and i guess we have a i heard another fifteen thousand. National Guard are coming in to guard the homes and streets of areas that have been shut down because, of course, you don't want looting and, and bad guys to come back in. So, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's just phenomenal that yeah. in this day and age, yeah. you know, nature and uh, I guess in one case it was sparked by arson. But in many other cases, they were accidental sparking events, you know, construction workers or people with a blowtorch or something right. where Aided by the winds, these things got out of control. So, oh, well, uh, we, our, our best wishes to all of our listeners in the Southern California area and uh, stay safe and uh, good luck getting through this tough yeah. time. It's, it's, I mean, it's so sad when you see the fires coming right up behind, you know, brand new housing complexes mm. of, mm. you know, nice, beautiful new homes. And it's like, oh, my goodness, they're, they're not going to be here for long. Nature has a funny way of reminding us that, uh, Who's in charge, really? Uh-huh. Every once in a while, she just says, oh, and by the way, <laughs> you, might rem- you might remember me. <laughs> before, you get, before you get too cocky. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So uh, today we're going to, what are we going to talk about? Actually, I don't know. This is a, I, I, are we going to do the perfect password? Uh, well, yes. What we're going to do is we're going to do the long-awaited, for me, actually, second half of 
the podcast topic we began two weeks ago. Uh, it's been called Roman authentication. Roman it, authentication. <laughs> it's actually roaming authentication. Yes. We touched on it a little bit with the Q&A last week. And this week, I, I'm going to explain the, the path I took and the solution I came up with for the need to give my employees really, really secure, I mean bulletproof security for their, their roaming authentication. And I've actually had the system up and running and even public, but not announced really publicly. Um, it's, it's really caught on. We've got a number of companies have written indicating that they're going to be using it themselves to really? open source Two open source projects even have, I mean, code published uh, that 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 creates a compatible implementation with mine. Uh, and for, in fact, it's possible now to log on remotely to Max using a a what I call perfect paper passwords PPP, a a, a, P, a PAM, a pluggable authentication module that uh, has been created. Uh, so anyway, I'm gonna we'll tell our users, or I mean our listeners, all about this really cool solution. So and, uh, if you if you want to catch up a little bit, go back to 113 a couple of episodes ago, where Steve posed the problem that he was facing. It might help if you uh, listen, have listened to that first. I would guess. Well, and I'll, I'll give us a little quick recount of, oh, good, of okay. that to sort of bring everyone current uh, okay. here when we start right. talking about okay. this. Um, I have a couple little errata things. I did want to mention uh, that. Uh, it was funny, Leo. I was listening to Twit, or maybe it was uh, your Windows Weekly with Paul. I'm not sure which, but you happened to mention that you had the next generation of the Sony ebook reader. Yes, yes. Um, I bought mine the second day it was out, um, having read that it had an improved screen. And it does. And it really does. Actually, yeah. uh, on the on the show notes for this week. I have a side-by-side -side photograph that I took of the first generation and the second generation, uh, the the Sony ebook reader. The first one was the PRS-500. This next generation is the PRS-505, and the the it's got whiter whites essentially. the 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 blacks are as black as they were, but the, they've managed to make the screen improve the contrast by making the whites whiter. Um, although I've got to say, and you did mention this, but I wanted to, oh, you know, that is on, on the podcast where you were referring to the new one. The, they've, they say they sped up the page change. I don't notice it. No. What, well, what they've done is, I mean, it, it like twists your eyeballs in their sockets. <laughs> I never liked the page change. You get used to it. I guess I'm not used to this one. Um, is it worse? I mean, you think? Oh, yeah. It's a different technology. See, I'm They're at a disadvantage because I lost my 500, and so I can't do a head-to-head -head comparison. And I wasn't even sure that the screen was it, – it felt better, but I wasn't even sure it's better. But this, the page turn, because it's electrostatic screen, it has to refresh the whole screen, essentially like shake it like an SS Etch-a-Sketch and then redraw it. And it gives you a flicker and a flash – Oh, they've done something wacky now. I mean, it almost looks like it sucks the centers out of the letters, leaving the outlines behind. Really? Then they sort of Twitter, and then they all upside down invert a couple. I mean, it's just like a major – like I said, it just twists your eyeballs in their sockets. Huh. It's bizarre looking. In fact, I'm considering setting up a, a camera 
and doing some slow page it down. changes. Yeah. Just no, just so I can show. I think it'd be fun. Well, I'd to like show to see it in slow motion and see what it's doing. It's very. That's a very good point. I've wondered too because it, it happens quick enough that you really can't see it. But it's like now. Happens, I mean, there's yeah. different changing technology in this one, oh, and it's like, ooh boy. I mean, it really gets you. See, I didn't the, notice that. I mean, it, it felt slightly faster, but it's still annoying. You know what I do is as I'm reading, I try to time my page turns because I know it's good. It, you press the button. If there's a slight yes. pause, and then it flickers, and then it goes to the next page. So I try to time it just before I get to the end of the sentence. Sometimes I miss, and I have to go back because I missed I've the last been, few. I minutes. have caught myself <laughs> on the first generation one. I was doing the same thing, Leo. the The other thing that I, the other thing I discovered, and this was sort of a mistake, is uh, I noticed now that. Um, uh, the Night's Dawn, Dawn trilogy is available. Yes. Uh, that's Peter F. Hamilton's monster. To, I mean, to call it a tome doesn't even do it justice. Is it's, that on the Connect, Sony Connect site? It is. Oh, baby. Oh. But beware. It, it is, I think it's a 19 meg download. What? It's that they long? Put, they put all three books into one file. Oh, dear. And it completely chokes the reader oh. when you attempt i mean if you just if you touch it you think i mean i thought it had locked up completely it took maybe two hours for the reader to come back online after i touched it to the night's dawn trilogy it is it is seven thousand five hundred and thirty six <laughs> pages long in medium font size but now so it sounds like you don't recommend doing it this way once you once you open it is it okay i mean can uh, you go well, through the pages no you you cannot go away and come back oh, okay. because what it does is it i think it must do a pagination of, of oh, the book oh sure and oh my god i mean so i'm on the first page and i'm going to read a few pages just sort of to, to experience it then i'm going to say okay well i'm not serious about reading this thing but i mean so this still the reason i mentioned this is i want to explain to people that this has all the feel of a you know very still early. sort of a first generation yeah, yeah. even though we're at second generation they're just not there yet the other thing is since i've had it for about three weeks i've been meaning to talk about it but i keep forgetting on on the podcast um, during two weeks of it just sitting there, it completely drained its battery. Well, two weeks which is, is a long time. No, two weeks of <laughs> just, something not being turned on. I mean, it's not like there. it was on. Okay. It was right. off for two weeks. Right. And when I turned it on to get to, to in order to check the page count, because I wanted to mention that, I immediately got this, this warning symbol, came right. up and said, you know, battery low. And it's like, oh, my God. You know, I mean, it was full two weeks ago and I haven't done anything with it. So it's just, it's wrong that something is running inside this thing and burning up power. There ought to be like a, like a really off switch that makes it like, I mean, literally disconnects the battery so that it can sit there for six months. Now on the bright side, it does charge via a USB port. You don't need that special charger anymore. In fact, it doesn't even come with it. It does no longer so comes with a charger. That no makes it easy. Yep, it no longer has that stand-up stand that the first generation had. It is also a full USB drive, USB profile. So you're able to plug right. it into a, to a system and see it as a drive. And in fact, you can, for example, transfer PDFs and text files and other things to it rather than having to route everything through you know, Sony's equivalent of iTunes. And I've done that uh, on the Mac, and that's really handy because there's no Sony Connect for the Mac. So that's a very handy way to get stuff onto there. 
and it now has an SD card slot. Yes. Which is nice. It's not no, just... No, I, I think it had SD before, didn't it? No, it was only Sony's oh. proprietary, Not you know, that you need more memory. Right. I mean, it comes with, what, 180, 192 megabytes now. Yeah, if you were one. crazy enough to need to buy, well, to be <laughs> wanting to be listening to lot. music, that's you know, certainly of, okay. music. Yeah. Yeah, music takes up a lot of space. Yeah. And, of course, it does burn up your battery a lot more. Do you more still listen to music? Books. You were doing that for a while. Not, not. I don't listen. I did it as an experiment on the first generation reader just to see. Yeah, I don't. And you know, it's like, yeah, okay. Listen you to know, your that, iPod. You got that's what that you got an iPod for. Exactly. That's why. And I, I really like the idea that when you're actually reading with the with the book, it the battery lasts for so long. That's what I and want. It, yeah. And in fact, it did seem to recharge way faster oh, yes. than than usual. Yes. When I. After I got the warning sign, so maybe it actually wasn't that the battery was way down. Maybe it just needed a little hit of power or something. I don't know what was going now, on. Now, fill but. me in on this. And I, I, I did a full review, or it's going to appear on the Daily Gizwiz. But uh, at the time, I wasn't sure. I don't remember a jump to page feature in the original. And now you can, in fact, go to a specific page. They changed that. The, in fact, they moved the buttons from along the bottom to, to the up top, along to the, the side, side. Yeah. and which really makes sense now because the UI has the various items numbered on the side. Now you've got buttons right next, next to, them. to them. Yeah. The the actually the original one had an annoying feature where the buttons along the bottom jumped you to that Ugh. percentage. Right. So if you punch And you hit it by six, accident all the time. Yes, I did it all the time, all the time. by mistake. And I couldn't and it, find a way to jump back. Um, well, there is yes. You were you were able to use that back that back mode in order to go to where you were. Oh, okay. So so back did work. However, one of the things that I that sometimes happened also is I would leave it on by mistake, and then you know just because the buttons were on the face of it, they would kind of get themselves pushed without intending to. So when I came back to the book, it would be on and completely and in some lost right. zone. Right. I, I mean, had I had no idea where I was. But now you can jump to a specific page too, which really can, to, to me helps. Yes, you're able to dial by page, like you yeah. know three six five, and yeah. it'll go to that. You page. You couldn't do that before, could you? No, there was no there was no direct page access. Okay. You could only go by tens of percentages and then, right. you know, Drove painfully step forward or backward. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm saying, you know, everything we're talking about says, whoa, this thing has a, a ways to go. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, I mean, as a reader, it's it's a nice reader. And I did want to also mention that just, you know, while we're on the topic, the Amazon Kindle is apparently just days away from being released the the Kindle is Amazon's ebook reader. I guess it's no big stretch that you know a major bookseller like Amazon would would want to say, hey, we want to be in the ebook business. They bought um, was it, it was Moby Pocket, I think it is, which was the very first ebook source that I was using back in my earlier Palm ebook days. There's, maybe it's not Moby Pocket, Moby something. Um, anyway, the the thing about the Kindle that's interesting is that it is also a cellular modem built in. It's on the Sprint EVDO network, ah. so way fast. And, and Do so you have to have a Sprint account, though? Um, my, my, my guess is that you get one as part of it. I mean, as I understand it, the way EVDO being on Sprint works is it would have to have a Sprint phone number, but you would also have an account in order to buy books through Amazon. So my guess is that Part of the registration process setting up up with Amazon would be you give them a and you, you create an account and then you buy the books and I'm guessing but I, I'm pretty sure that Amazon would cover the cost 
of downloads. Uh, so you're yes. not so you're not seeing any any Sprint usage billing. Amazon's right. d- done some deal with Sprint where yes, you do have a Sprint phone technically, but it's just a cell modem and you're not going to be using it much because it's only for downloading books. But it's cool because, you know, for someone, you know, like my mom, for example, who's really not going to be docking her ebook reader onto her Mac in order to to do all this. I mean, that's just sort of that she wouldn't want to go through all that. The idea would be, of course, that it's a a web browser has an interface to Amazon's UI, and you you the entire the whole entire process of searching for books and purchasing books you do with this reader, and you need no docking, no computer. You know, so wherever you are, you could buy books, and they would just they just magically appear in there, courtesy of the Sprint cell modem. Well, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. I I, I guess I'll get one of them too. Although I have to say, the five hundred five is now close enough that i feel pretty comfortable with it i'm i'm reading a lot with it i've been reading a lot for the last since i got it three or four days ago and i've been very happy with it i mean it's well, white, I, not quite i want paper white with black text but it's close it's it's it uh, it actually is enough better yeah. that i'm no longer finding myself annoyed um you I also wish mentioned the, the scaling were were infinitely variable too because some books you know you only have small and medium it's hard for me to read the small or even sometimes the medium text i like it the large text yeah, but large is really large. It's large, and I wish there were kind of a way to kind of slide, have a slider that I could go. I agree. Because it's a PDF. Was... It should be able to do that. Yeah. Well, it's got a it's got a, a clearly rescalable technology built into it. Right. So you're right. It, it definitely could do that, and, and that would be nice. And for people with really low vision, you could get even bigger, and that would be nice. Right. That's, that's the real benefit of this. I'm too embarrassed to buy large text books, large type books, but this way it can grow with my failing eyesight, so to speak. <laughs> Anyway, enough of the enough of the ebook update, but I think you know we're interested in it, and I hope others are as well. We've got a lot of good feedback yeah. in, in all of the times that we've talked about ebooks. I know that there's certainly a cross section of our listeners who are interested in this, uh, you know, evolving if, technology. If you listen to Twit, you probably heard Jerry Pornell talk about the fact that the hit to him the iPhone was very close to being the ebook reader, and that's an interesting point of view. It really is a very good screen. Well, and his point is that there you're repurposing something that you already own. Right. That that's what Gary was uh, Jerry was talking about was that hey, I've already got an iPhone in my pocket, so wouldn't it be nice if I'm stuck in line or I'm in an airport or yeah. something that I I could you know read a book that I'm wanting to read anyway and on I, the device I already have. And I have to say the text is much more legible on it. I can read a much smaller typeface on it very easily. Yep. So um, well, know. and contrast has a lot to do. I don't it know does. if you've messed around with that, but you know, contrast has a huge amount to do with the size the text has to be. As yeah. contrast is reduced, you really need a larger font in order to make up yeah. for that. Ah, oh, that explains it. Yeah, because I don't normally, I'm not normally that blind, but I cannot. The small type, I just cannot read it. On the other hand, I'm reading smaller type on my uh, iPhone, no problem at all. Yep, and I've noticed that if I'm if I've got the Sony reader under bright light, I can read on the oh, yes, small much better. Yeah. with no trouble, but not yeah. not not if it's dimmer. So yeah. I suspect what you're going to see is you know Apple's announced uh, the availability of third party applications soon, and well, starting in February they're going to tell people how to do it anyway, and so I imagine by June of next year you'll be able to buy them, and I bet you that'd be one of the first things you'd see as an ebook reader. It just makes well, sense from Apple's point of view; and, they could add and, it to the store, be an easy thing to do. And as I understand it, anything that the iPhone gets, the iPod Touch gets. Yeah, that's a good point. Course, that's my sweet spot because I really I think the iPod Touch is nice if I can only get my WPA key 
into that darn thing. I think what I'm going to do, we actually had a lot of readers, I mean, a lot of listeners who suggested various solutions. Some have actually managed to enter a GRC-style Wi-Fi perfect passwords from the grc.com slash passwords page wow. into their iPhone or their iPod Touch. Um, they've, they like, they, they get the thing copy it to a text file, break it into four character <laughs> long sequences so they can kind of do them four at right. a time. That's ridiculous. And they, ver- and they- <laughs> Sorry. <That laughs> and they is- said, no. yes, it took me seven tries, yeah. or yes, it took me 20 minutes, Forget but it. I was able to get it typed in correctly. And I'm just thinking, okay, that's wrong. I want Copy and Copy paste. And paste. Although but, I have and, to say, I was playing with the BlackBerry because I was thinking after I, you said that, I was thinking about that. And, uh, and, and the BlackBerry not only does have copy and paste, but... Uh, it doesn't hide the key as you're entering it because the new BlackBerry has Wi-Fi built in, and you know it, it. It's much easier to type it with that keyboard. You could you could probably do a pretty good job of it with the BlackBerry. You even if you didn't have cut and paste, but of course you do. Well, you know I'm a Trio user, so I, I'm you a fan a of a physical keyboard yeah. with actual buttons yeah. on it. Yeah, exactly. I just you know everyone says, eh, well, you know the iPod Touch works and it it survives without needing a physical keyboard. But it's like, eh, I wish it had Bluetooth. Then I could Bluetooth. To like a real keyboard, and then I could type oh, it in with no trouble at all. Wouldn't that be clever? But no. Well, we'll see an ecosystem around it. I mean, it's just it's brand new product, and I think that just yep. as there's an ecosystem around the uh, iPod, there'll be an ecosystem around the Touch right. and the and the iPhone. Uh, do you have any addenda, errata, corrections you'd like to uh, pass along? I don't. Although I, in my my eternal quest for interesting um, spinrite stories, I do have one. I was, I was, uh, I'm not sure what to call this one. Uh, we'll have to consider maybe, uh, cutting this out of, <laughs> of the, of the podcast because I would, I would want to call this one spin, right? Got me. L-ed. Oh my goodness. Uh, um, let's see. Made my love life better. How about that? <laughs> uh, it, okay. It definitely did. Uh, this is from Mike. This, t- if, if this is true, this is the best endorsement you've ever had. <laughs> uh, this is Mike in Tucson, Arizona. He uh, actually, he wrote today. He said, I wanted to share this Spinrite success story with you. Oh, oh, this gives a new meaning to the word success. Yeah. He says, I met a girl online. And we chatted many times before finally meeting. Just before we met, her son's laptop would no longer boot, and she asked if I could help. So I purchased a copy of Spinrite. So he purchased a copy of Spinrite for his first date. Mm -hmm. And he says, and that's a nerd (laughs) for our first date the next night. Yeah. Even and get this, he says, even though I didn't think the date went that well. She trusted me enough to let me take the laptop home to work on. It was dead anyway. Later that night, I ran Spinrite, and sure enough, it fixed the problems, allowing the laptop to boot without trouble. So, the next day, I proudly took the fixed laptop to meet her. Let's, she was let's so, leave it at that. <laughs> she was so happy and thrilled that, well, two months later... We're still dating Aww. and having a wonderful time. Aww. Thank you, Spinrite, and thank you, Steve. It's good for your love life, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> wow, is that a, is that a ringing endorsement? 
That's uh, hysterical. So thank you, Mike. I really appreciate you sharing the story. Now, I can't promise you that uh, using a Star Security Gateway is going to make your love life get any better. <laughs> I don't know if we can compete at all on that level. However, it might uh, help your work life just a little bit if you need to protect your business. A Star Security Gateway is the way to do it. Not just protection. A Star Security Gateway does it all. And this is what I really like about uh, ASG. It is about the size of a router. I mean, they have different models. I have the, uh, I think it's the 120, which is, you know, almost the same size as my router. I don't need the router anymore because it does all of that. Gives you network protection, firewall, remote access. I even get VPN uh, via IPsec, L2TP over IPsec and PPTP tunneling with SSL, which makes it so easy. And of course, intrusion protection, but that's not all. I mean, it does automatic transparent email encryption using S-MIME or PGP. It does uh, dual virus protection for email, protects you against spam and phishing. Uh, it also will, uh, will, will give you web filtering, including content filtering, antivirus for the web, anti-spyware. You get IM and P2P control. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's a, a, a really amazing tool that you should have in your business. All in one device that really provides you with a top-of-the-line security. And via its uh, automatic updates, a Starro up-to-date, you're always up-to-date automatically. So this really is a fantastic device. It scales, too. You know, you can, you can cluster as many as 10 ASGs together without any additional load-balancing software. It's just built in. So, I mean, this is a great solution. I want you to give it a try in your office. Call 877-4-ASTARO for an absolutely free demo in your office. You know, try it. In the workplace, see how it works for you. 877-427-8276. 877-4-ASTARO. You can also visit them online at astaro.com slash security now. And by the way, non-commercial users can download the Astaro software, put it on your own PC, your beige box. It's a Linux distro. And uh, use it for free for non-commercial use. So you can really get a sense of it. Might even want to set it up at home and then bring it into the office and try it in the office with the uh, commercial version. 877, the number four is Starro or A-S-T-A-R-O dot com slash security now. It may not uh, get improve your love life, but it'll certainly improve your security life. We thank Astaro for their support for security now. So uh, let's take a look at the part two of... <laughs> you know why I call it Roman authentication? Because there's, uh, there's a device in the gym called a Roman chair. Have you ever used the Roman chair, Steve? I haven't. It uh, it is the most it, it it's clearly a device invented by the Romans probably to torture Christians I don't know you get your <laughs> you get your legs in there and you you hinge over at the waist down to the ground and up again it's like backwards sit ups and it just for some reason Roman authentication reminds me of my Roman chair it's actually a fun exercise uh, now you're talking about roaming authentication and again if you heard one thirteen you know this was a Steve trying to solve a problem with uh, getting his employees online when they were out of the office why, why don't you recap what we talked about. Right. The, the idea, well, where we left off and, and the, the, the goal of this is to allow, you know, and it's, it's the kind of thing we've talked about a lot before. We've talked about multi-factor authentication. I wanted a means that would allow Sue or Greg, when they were not at their home base location, that is to say with a laptop, to be able to access pages 
at GRC on the GRC server, which are highly privileged. I mean, you know, basically the, the, the back end, for example, of our e-commerce system, which, which would allow Sue to issue refunds, to, to find people's replaced or, or lost um, uh, SpinRight serial numbers and, and, and purchase information in order to, to you know, email people the ability to re-download SpinRight if they're away from home, you know, basically to do all the things that, that she's able to do um, when she's authenticated just by virtue of being at her home IP, with this, which is authorized, but from a different IP. So... I did this in a couple stages. I, I the the idea is that when she's at home and she accesses the you know GRC from her laptop, it notices that she's she's at her residential IP, and if she isn't already carrying that is if that laptop isn't already carrying an authorization cookie, it says, "Hey, do you want to authorize this machine?" for roaming authentication when you're not at your home IP. So if a friend came over and for some strange reason she accessed GRC's privileged pages from a friend's machine, it would pop that up and she would say, no, I don't want to give this roaming authentication. I mean, that seems unlikely, but it's, you know, it's built in. But so, so that question would come up and on her laptop, she would say, yes, she does. And in fact, she would even say that on her desktop machine, because from time to time, the IP might change on, on her cable modem that is provided by DHCP on the cable modem, in which case she would need to, to have the, um, to, to be able to still access with a different IP because then it would think with her IP changing that she was no longer at home. Now when she's out at Starbucks, for example, um, roaming, and she attempts to access these privileged pages at GRC, um, and she, the, 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 the server will see that a request is coming in for a privileged page. It'll notice that, that, that with that request is this permanent authorizing cookie which will only be sent over an SSL secure encrypted connection. So that's protected from anyone snooping on the, the data traffic. If, if, if um, she were accessing GRC's non-secure pages, that cookie would not be offered by the browser. So in seeing her do this, um, she is prompted by, through some mechanism to prove who she is. Because in, in a multi-factor authentication mode, we want, as we've talked about before, we want there to be several different things which are being used together to prove the identity of someone. So the fact that she's using a laptop carrying this secured cookie, which could only have been issued when she was at her, at her known authenticated IP, that demonstrates that this laptop was once there. So, so this is something she has that is her laptop that, that is, is allowing one stage of this authentication. She needs to enter also a secret password that is a non-changing secret password to say this is not only do is this request coming from the laptop, but it's also coming from me, somebody who knows my own secret passphrase. Now, the problem with with relying on only those two things is it would be subject to 
some sort of recording attack that is a replay attack where where a keystroke monitor we're monitoring her entering in this passphrase that being something that isn't changing every time so that's where we left off with episode 113 i wanted to come up with some means some way another another factor of multi-factor authentication which would which would prevent even somebody with perfect information about the logon process that is somebody with a camera somebody recording keystrokes somebody recording mouse clicks i mean in a in a mode where where there's perfect knowledge of what i and my employees do to log in even even a, a keystroke logger would be thwarted by this yes perfect knowledge full knowledge of what wow. they're doing to log in and they and that that party still could not duplicate what they do so my first thought was okay some sort of a puzzle and this, and I did talk about this um in episode 113 2 weeks ago the idea being that the server would challenge them with something on the screen like jumbling up numbers and letters and and only a GRC employee would have the magic incantation like no for example that you sum the digits uh-huh. Until you get to a single one, right. you reverse and you and then you interpose that in between the alphanumerics and you sort the al- the alphabetic in reverse X Y Z order or something. I mean, you know, the I and and so I thought about it for a couple of days, trying to come up with something where it'd be knowledge which would not be obvious. Right. And the problem is that I want. I mean, I don't want. I don't want to have any compromise in security. So. I wanted to come up with something where somebody looking at the answer and looking at the challenge would not be able to reverse engineer it. And I couldn't. I just, you know, I looked at it and I thought, you know, if I say, oh, this is really hard, no one's going to get it. It's like, uh, I'm cheating. And, you know, I can't allow that in this case. So I thought, okay, we need essentially something that they have. We want to prove that they have something separate from the computer because, again, you know, the laptop, laptops are being stolen all the time. So it's got to be separate from the computer. Now, we've talked about, of course, the PayPal, VeriSign, um, uh, RSA-style crypto dongles, <laughs> yeah. except that all of those require that you use a back-end service. And I didn't want to go be going to to VeriSign or 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 any third party for verification. Not that I couldn't, but first of all, VeriSign hasn't ever followed through on their suggestion that they'd be willing to to show me how to do that or give me access to their back end. So it's like, okay, well, I don't have access to that, and I didn't want to depend upon it. So it's like, what could they carry that would that would comprehensively prove that they and they alone had this? So. I started with this idea that we had glanced on. We'd sort of heard of other companies doing the same sort of thing. And I said, okay, you know, let me think about this more because I hadn't thought about it. And that's the idea of some sort of a printed sheet, some sort of a something printed. So they'd carry it with them. They would carry it with them. It would like be in Sue's purse or in in in, in hers or Greg's wallet or in mine in, in my case. And in fact, next time I see you in Vancouver, Leo, I'm going to show this to you because you it's all it. done huh. and working. Um, and so the idea is something 
that is carried with you. So I thought, okay, let's, and we know how pseudo randomness works. We know, for example, that you could, you could have a cryptographic key and you could put in a counter into a cipher that's driven by the key and out will come um, random looking, but deterministic data. For, and for example, that's how the, the new perfect passwords page at GRC works. You may remember that I was using a weak random number generator before, not knowing that it was weak. It was from RSA. I would have thought theirs would have been good. But it turns out an analysis of lots of its output demonstrated its entropy was not as high as it could be. So I you know, redesigned one myself um, using the Rheindahl cipher, basically – um, using a counter as input to it, and what comes out is fantastically random. So it solved that problem. So, so if we if we have a key and we just run a counter into a cipher, what comes out the a good cipher? What comes out the other end is really high entropy random junk. So, so first I thought, okay, let me. So say that we take this random junk and we just print it on an eight and a half by 11 page. So we have this huge grid of junk. Um, and, and so I thought, okay, well, let's see. It would be easy to prove that, that I had that page because every one of them would be different. And so, for example, I thought, okay, say that I just, I just picked a random character in this massive grid of gunk and typed in five or six of them in a certain direction. I could even go in any direction I wanted. I could go up, down, left, right, you know, uh, diagonally, up to the left, up to the right, down to the left, down to the right, sort of in any direction. And, and I just, so I just, so I just, just choose a random, a random spot and type in a series of characters that are on the page. Well, then the authentication mechanism would be that it would – it would have the, – the server would know the same key that, that was used to generate the page originally. It would, it would, in memory, create a facsimile of that page, and then it would look at the first character I typed, scan this page to find an instance of that first character, and then look at the second one and see if there's a second character in any of the eight locations around that first one that would give it a starting direction and then it would march in that direction to see if it was able to match all the characters i had typed and and if if as soon if 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 it failed it would then continue scanning for another instance of that first character and perform the same search until it de- it determined whether i had typed an x number character long string that appeared on that page and it's like, okay, well, that would work. How's that? Well, the problem is that that it we would we would not know for sure that we had never entered that particular sequence before. That is, you know, humans tend to be repetitive. Something would have drawn our eye to a certain spot, a certain character we like, um, you know, a certain reason for going in a certain direction. And there's a chance that some point in the future, unintentionally, we would choose the same string. Or, if not the same string, maybe even 
we would hit on the same substring. So, for example, if if we were typing in six character chunks from this this blizzard of randomness, um, if we typed in five of them by starting one over and then type six, well, then again, the, the challenge is perfect information. Somebody who is able to acquire everything we do cannot gain anything from that. Well, if we happen to repeat five out of the six characters just by starting one character off, then that would mean that there would, there would only be a very small set of tests that needed to be done. Basically, use all those five and test every sixth character, making it very vulnerable to a, to a simple brute force attack. So I said, okay, that won't work. We, we can't just use – we can't basically allow the user to choose where they start. So then I thought, okay, well, how about if we just – we have like a coordinate system – and the server says start in a certain location and and go in a certain direction and then next time you're prompted it gives you a different coordinate well it's like okay that you know that would work except that again we have this problem of reuse essentially i i came to the conclusion pretty quickly that there is no safe way to ever allow reuse of any of the data on the page, even sort of like substring reuse. I, I couldn't even like start deliberately start a couple characters over and have any of the characters I typed in before overlap the characters I was typing in now. Because that would weaken it. It would make it easier to guess. Exactly. Because yeah. it, it would fundamentally weaken this, you know, the, the whole notion of proving that I'm the one who has this because it would open it to various sorts of brute force right, attacks. Right. So I... I settled into, okay, um, we need a system where, where the user will, under no circumstances, ever be asked to enter the same string a second time. And I ought to mention that, first of all, just so people don't get confused, I'm fully aware that, you know, I haven't invented one-time password systems you know, I mean, the, the free BSD has something called OPIE, which generates OP. Uh, <laughs> OP, exactly. OP. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's times for a one time passwords something everywhere, OPIE. Uh -huh. uh -huh. um, and, and it works by, by drawing six words from a six typically four character, but sometimes fewer words from a dictionary of 2048. Um, and you string those together. So, I mean, I, 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 oh, and also, I've even seen some commercial implementations of systems that I've just rejected for the reasons I've rejected them. I mean, well, Opie reuses content, so there's one reason not to use Opie, right? Well, that's a problem. Um, yeah. Although one would hope that it doesn't reuse the same set of ah. of words, but there are some commercial one-time password systems where. The design of their grid is such that you could be led into typing in some characters that were a substring of what you typed in before, right. and that's just not acceptable. Right. So, so then I, I had this notion, okay, if the rule is, and it has to be, we can never ask the user to enter anything they ever did before, then what we, what, what we wind up with is a sheet of essentially – 
columns of characters by rows of characters where where you have for example you know columns a b c d e f g all the way through whatever and then then rows and in fact the first one i designed was it, it was huge it was eight and a half by 11 and it was a through p and it had 50 lines so let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen 15. so it's 16 rows by 50 lines of of substrings so a ton of them so it's like okay well we're getting there so then it was okay how do i design these strings well i liked the idea very much of them being as short as possible that is i wanted not to have to type something that looks like one of those windows xp license keys you know, those insane things that are, you know, five groups of five with, you know, letters and characters because because that's just a pain and, and there's a high chance of getting typos. In fact, I have a, an older friend of mine. This might as well have been DRM because he's impo- it's, it's just impossible for him to type these these security keys in every time because they're just too long and there's too much opportunity for making a mistake. So I wanted them very short. Well, having them short and not having them be insecure meant that I needed a larger character set. That is to say, for example, all these tokens we've been talking about, they're all six-digit tokens, meaning that they can go from 0000000 to 999999. In other words, there's exactly one million possible combinations hmm. that the that the PayPal token, the VeriSign token, the the RSA token, they all use six digits. And so six e- since each character can have ten different combinations, it's it's um uh six to the tenth I mean sorry, ten to the sixth, ten to the sixth power or a million possible combinations obviously you know zero 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 to nine 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 so um so what i decided was um i wanted a larger alphabet that is i wanted more possible characters in every position um and we need pretty much for for practical purposes or, or certainly ease of implementation it's nicer if you have a power of two that is to say, for example, if we used hex characters, then we would have four bits per character, and, and we'd be, you know, A through F and 0 through 9, which is the, the hexadecimal character set. Um, I wanted more than that. Um, 32 characters would give us five bits, five binary bits of, of value per character, but 64 gives us six bits. So what I designed was a 64-character alphabet that is case-sensitive. So, for example, we've got uppercase A through Z that gives us 26 characters. Lowercase A through Z gives us another 26. So we have 52. And then we only need an additional 12 in order – wait, 52. Yeah, Yeah, an additional 12 to get us to 64. Um, except that um, the problem with that is in many typefaces, um, there are it, – it's easy to confuse, for example, lowercase l with the numeral 1 or uppercase 0 – I'm sorry, uppercase o, alphabetic o, 
with the numeral zero. So then I went through and I eliminated anything that was visually confusing. So, for example, there is no uppercase O or zero, even though I could have allowed one of them oh, and, had the system, and had the system be smart enough to know what the user meant. Right. Just the fact that there were confusing possibilities that would create some anxiety on the part of, of the user of this system. It's like, well, wait a minute. Is this an O or a zero? Yeah, I think that's very nice because same thing with one and, and lowercase L, right? I mean, it's yeah, yes. always bugged me. And, and there's, there's a whole bunch of them, it turns out. And, and then uh, as I eliminated those, the, al- the, the alphabetic portion got shorter, um, but that meant I needed other special characters. So then I – and I so, – so that is I, I couldn't just use numeric – you know, I already eliminated zero and one. So then I had two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, those are very distinct, but I needed – now I think I needed another like 16 or 17 characters. So I used exclamation point, at sign, pound sign. I decided to stay away from dollar sign just because it sort of seemed, well, I wasn't sure that every keyboard would have a dollar sign because in, in an international keyboard, there might be some other symbol. So I, I carefully chose an alphabet of 64 characters such that they're very clear visually. So when you see them, there's no confusion. Now, since each character in this scheme gives you six bits, you don't need many of them. In fact, these cool things are only four characters long. So they're, for example, you know, uppercase X, uppercase M, uppercase E, and then the numeral eight, just four characters long. Now, the first reaction might be, wait a minute, you know, that's not enough. It's not enough characters. Well, each one gives us six bits of value. So four of them gives us 24 bits. Well, two to the 24. How come they don't just out of curiosity give you eight bits of value? Oh, because in order to get eight bits of value, we would have to have a character set of 256 different oh, characters. Oh, I see. So that's because you've eliminated some of those characters. You only get six bits. Well, because ASCII, you know, printable, there aren't that many right, in, right, right, in right. really distinctive printable I characters. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, so each character gives us six bits. But if we, if we use four of them, only four gives us 24 bits of data. Well, 24 bits, that is, to, is, is two to the, to the 24, which is 16.77 million possibilities. Right. Right. So consider that the PayPal, VeriSign, RSA tokens, those are only a million possibilities. Because it's just is, digits. So by giving it some of these characters, you've really improved it quite a bit. 16.7 times That's more great. securely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so any given token, for example, a, a token or a, a value coming up on the RSA or, or PayPal token, there, there's a one in a million chance of of randomly guessing what it's going to be showing in this scheme there's a only a one at less than one in 16.77 million almost 17 million chance of randomly guessing and what's actually sort of fun about this is they really look like little crypto things yeah. well it's easy to remember frankly the human brain can do those four letters or combination of four letters and numbers much easier well, it's it's actually it's they they are not easy to remember because they're not words. No, they're, but they but that's easier than ten digits. 
Oh, it, what it's easy to do, it's easy to transcribe it. And that right, was the right, whole point right. is you wanted to be able to look at it and, you know, and type, you know, l- l- look at your card where this was printed and then enter it into the screen in order to prove that you are who you say you are. So so the way the system works and I'm and this is on GRC.com all up and running in a sort of in a, in a demo mode at GRC.com slash PPP. You can you can just put in GRC.com slash PPP. The system will force you to be over an SSL connection. So it'll bounce you to uh, www starting with HTTPS, so HTTPS colon slash slash www.grc.com slash ppp.htm. That's the formal URL. But if you're just, you know, just put in grc.com slash ppp, and it'll take you to the same page. Um, You can then enter in a passphrase, which is only here for the purpose of a demo, because a passphrase is not secure that is the the only possible attack that's the only known possible attack on this system is a weak passphrase so no actual implementation uses passphrases does it just generate as a random 64 bit or 64 character string or ah no even better the actual key that drives this I took the strongest version of Rindal, the the AES the AES encryption. Mm-hmm. The strongest version uses a 256-bit key. I all I then added an additional 128 bits, which is added to the value of a counter. So you take the value of a counter, which always starts at zero. You add 100 a 128-bit value to that which is part of the master key and then the other 256 bits is the key for the Rindal cipher so the 128 the 128 um, bits from the counter added to the 128 bits from the from what I call the sequence key that goes into the Rindal cipher and out comes a random, that is to say a pseudo-random, very high-quality pseudo-random 128 bits. That is then taken in chunks of, of 24 bits. And each, so each chunk of 24 bits is then converted into one of these four-character, what I call a passcode, and, and then printed out on the on on what I call a pass card, which is one of these cards. So, because twenty four does not divide evenly into one hundred and twenty eight, it you end up getting five and a third pass codes for every one hundred and twenty eight bit cipher. So you generate the first five, then you take um, the last byte of that one, you increment the counter, and generate another one hundred and twenty eight bits. That allows you to, and you take the first two bytes of that one in order to generate the sixth passcode. Anyway, all the math is done. All of it is documented on on the site in a, in a series of pages that explains how this works. And and I have pictures and diagrams of the whole crypto system, which are good enough that two implementations have been written from my documentation to implement this. Now, 
I from from day one, I produced all the code. The there, there's a DLL, a Windows format DLL. It is I think it's 16K that it is the entire crypto system for this perfect paper passwords system. It's got a series of functions which you're able to call. That is, anyone who wanted to implement this for themselves could simply call the Windows DLL, and it does all the crypto for you. And you basically you give it a buffer of of empty space, and you say, "Give me X number of passcodes starting with this one." And the crypto system does that. And you also give it this this what I call the sequence key. Remember that I, I was saying that we had 128 bits plus 256 bits. So the whole thing is driven by a 384-bit master key. Basically, there's that many. I think it's something like 10 to the 38. I mean, it's a phenomenal number of possible sequences because of the way I designed this. So, for example, when you if you were to create an account somewhere – where you wanted to authenticate yourself, the that authentication server would randomly generate a secret 384-bit sequence key. And that sets the sequence for all time of these passcodes which are generated. And then, then you'd say, okay, I want to carry – oh, I forgot to mention that, that – at one point in this, remember, I had a, an eight and a half by eleven sheet of these. <laughs> right. Well, I realized that in any normal use, that would probably That's last you about three years. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. How, exactly. How many was it? I mean, um, let's see. It was sixteen. I think I had sixteen. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, by seven, eight, or nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, sixteen by fifty. <laughs> That's so <plenty>. I <laughs> eight hundred. <yeah. laughs> That's plenty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, well, how many are you going to use per day, and how many days do you want this? So anyway, what I what I realized was convenience trumped longevity, right. and so I, I came up with a design for a credit card size card, oh, which is what I go. call the pass card. And it, it prints out at exactly credit card size, um, and three of them on, on the GRC site, anyone who's curious can, can go there. You put in a passphrase. You tell it which card number you want to start with, and there, you, you, you start with number one. And so for, so, for example, the system will give you that card and the next two. It prints them close to each other, so you could either – Cut them out individually if you only wanted to carry one around in your wallet. Or what I'm doing is I realized it would be cool if, if you just cut out all three together and then you fold the two in so that basically it's back to the, a credit card size, but you've got essentially three of what I call these little pass cards. Is this basically a one-time pad? Well, it's, it's, it's certainly – yeah, I, I would say it's a one-time pad. Because you're only yep. going to use this code once, and then you cross oh, and that, it out. And, and that's the key, yes. You, the server – so so when you create an account, it resets your passcode number to zero that it, or, or to one, the first one. Actually, it's, it's the passcodes are zero-based, so it's, it resets it to zero. Yep. And it, it comes up with a random sequence key that is it's secret. You then say, okay, um, give me the first three cards or however many depending on what the implementation wants to do you could just ask for one at a time or whatever 
So it generates the first 70 pass codes. In this redesigned smaller card, I've only got columns A through G, which is seven columns by 10 lines, which is 70 codes. Even then, you know, that's going to last you a long time. Every time you authenticate, um, you, you're, you're, you, for example, come up to a screen that says, okay, prove that you're, prove that you're Steve. Um, I've already told it my username and my, my um, passphrase to tell it that I know something that means that somebody couldn't discover the card in my wallet and like Xerox it, for example. I still, you still need to have multiple factors of authentication, even with a system like this, because you need to guard against inadvertent disclosure of this information. Now, remember that, that Bruce Schneier really believes that it makes much more sense to carry around something like this than it does to try to memorize a weak password. Right, right. He says users are already very good at protecting you know, physical bit, things, yeah. physical things, bits, bits of things written Credit down on, on, and, on right, paper. Right, exactly. Right. And so and so my idea was you would just slip this in your wallet behind a credit card. And that's where where and, you know, that's where it would be. And, you know, you're generally pretty good about keeping track of, of that kind of thing. But you want to make sure that someone who knows you were doing this wouldn't couldn't sneak up and like, you know, get to your wallet when it was hanging, you know, in your coat pocket on a on a coat hanger and for example copy some of these down or xerox it or something so you still need you need something that other than this that only you know which is secret so that so that you know this gives you protection against that being lost it'd be similar to someone for example pushing your paypal uh token reading out the numbers and then running over to their office and logging in as you you still want your login information to be to to remain private but so the idea is the server knows where you are in this sequence. If you've used the, you know, the, like the first five passcodes, then it knows you're on number six. And so in, in my implementation, which for, for GRC, it says, please type in passcode uh, 1E on card one. And it's because there's no reduction in security in in it asking you for the code it wants. That is, you know, you might have a system where you're supposed to just keep track of where it is. But um, I, I think it's it's makes more sense to have this to have 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 the server prompt you for the one it wants. And since never ever ever will it ever ask you for that again. Um, in my implementation, I'm just crossing them off. If I have a pen with me, I'll just, you know, scratch it out because it makes it that much easier for me to see the next one. And if somebody were hacking my login and, and, and were like guessing passcodes, then there might be some possibility that I would want to know if I was being prompted for one further along the sequence than I, than I expected. So that would also give you some indication of somebody, you know, potentially doing something nefarious behind your back. Um, the, one of the other cool things is since the system runs forward forever, you are and you're never being asked about any prior codes. Not only can you scratch them out, but if you think that a card may have been compromised, you can simply tell the system 
advance me to the next card. I want to obsolete this card or say it's getting kind of ratty or tattered or, you know, you've you've you use it so infrequently that it's just, you know, it's it's fading out, for example, or you you print it on an inkjet printer and, you know, the ink is bleeding or it got wet or something and the ink bled. It, it's there's nothing wrong with saying just, you know, cancel these cards, print out from from the cards I've never seen before forward, in which case you're starting further on in this you know, virtually limitless forward moving sequence of passcodes. And, and you've, you've in moving this, this pointer forward, you've obsoleted all the passcodes that have come before. And, and then you're, you're standing there moving forward into the future. So essentially it's just, it's a clean and elegant one time password or one time pad system, as you mentioned, Leo, um, it uses very short tokens, which are, are cool looking because it uses them in a, from a large alphabet that looks sort of spy-like, you know, capital G, lowercase g, two, lowercase v. I'm, I'm actually reading from some that are on screen right here. And uh, anyway, I encourage our listeners to go take a look at it at grc.com slash PPP. Um, several people in our news groups uh, thought it was a cool idea. There is a an open source implementation written in C. My code is all in assembler. Uh, the, the DLL that implements the whole crypto system is, is 17K. And then wow, in order for to, you, that's huge. Well, actually, 4K of that is a authenticode signature because ah. I wanted to authenticode sign it. I was going to so, say. <laughs> yes. And so that but that's the full Rindall cipher. Wow. It's the uh, it, it's an, uh, written in assembler. It's an assembler implementation of the SHA 384 hash because um, I, I, I use the the uh, SHA 384 both for using these passphrases to generate the 384-bit master sequence key, but also the system is able to generate master sequence keys by using a whole bunch of machine-specific and highly volatile information, like the number of clock cycles the processor has had since it was last reset, uh, since its last hardware reset, in order to allow it to be used. Essentially, this DLL could be the heart of anyone's implementation of a secure um, one-time passcode uh, PPP crypto system or authentication system. And um, one of our um, newsgroup uh, members has written a full implementation which is completely compatible with the sort of the reference implementation. That is to say, it generates, given the same 384-bit master sequence key, it generates this, exactly the same passcode sequence as, as mine does. Oh, and I, also I love have it an, that people have taken this up and uh, started doing their own. Yeah, well, in fact, we've heard from a bunch of companies who have said, hey, this is really great. Uh, we're going we're gonna to protect our database with wow, this system. That's great. I mean, it really is secure. It can handle any number of users. The, the passcodes go forever. And if somebody at any, at some point got tired of like printing out, oh, I'm up to card number 492, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, you could also reset yourself at any time. You would never go back to the same, the same master key and the beginning passcode, but since you've got 384 bits worth of them, you just do another random 
master sequence key and reset to zero so you restart at, at the first card anytime that you want to. So it's just, you know, it just ended up being, I mean, it's what we're using. A bunch of other companies are using it. There's, a, as I mentioned, there's an implementation as a pluggable authentication module that allows people right now, um, the, the guy who, who did it is using it to log in remotely to his Mac using this perfect paper password system. Really? For, now, how does for, he get the Mac to know what the password should be? Um, I haven't looked at his implementation, but but he's he must he's, have written, a, written a, a server version of it too. Yes. Well, the, there is something called the, the, the this PAM, this pluggable authentication module, is a standard, and the Mac OS X supports oh, okay. the PAM standard. Oh, okay. So 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 he's done that, and he's plugged it into his Mac OS X in order to allow him to use the system for. For secure logon. See, many of us we're gonna, are going to start wanting to use this because Leopard, which comes out tomorrow, uh, has built into this "get back to my Mac" feature, where you use .Mac to log in to any Mac that's online, and so this will be very important to have a secure login through this system. So this, I, I'm not sure how secure their built-in system is, but this might be a nice thing to look at adding on top of it using Pam. Well, so, again, so I mean- Pam would know automatically that you. How would you modify the PAM to know what your passwords are going to be? I just, I can't answer the questions, Leo. Somebody's I don't done know that. Any, okay. I don't know anything about PAM or, I, I mean, I know about this this system, which he implemented, but so I don't know So somebody's written this. a plug-in and, and that's what you'd have to find. Well, no, I mean, we're linking to it. And oh, okay. so, so you just so, go, to, yeah. go, to, go to grc.com. Yes, we, uh, on, on, on the, uh, the PPP pages at grc.com, we've got the full documentation of this, a, a, a sample that allows people to print cards, see what they look like. Um, and I've been trying to say also that we, not only do I have the DLL, I have an XE. The XE is 11K. Um, what it does is it just exercises the DLL. So it's a command line version of the entire PPP system. Because, for example, people who w- w- wanted to implement this in per- to, for, for like you know securing authentication to their own websites, if they had PHP or Perl um, and didn't want to be calling into the DLL, it's very easy in any of these languages to shell out to a to you know a, a essentially to a, an executable. You, so you're able to pass the parameters to the XE, and it will do all of the perfect paper password crypto and give you back the results perfect so um yeah i mean it's it's just again i don't want people to be saying oh gibson thinks he's invented something really amazing you know and this is just you know one-time passwords been there done that it's like okay okay yes except that there are some cool aspects of this i just basically i did my own grc style implementation because i wanted to and it is, you know, it uses strong crypto. It's got a lot of neat features that makes it, you know, very comfortable and easy to use. It's what we're using to provide us with secure roaming authentication. And it will be part of the authentication system in a forthcoming GRC product oh, as well. Oh, okay. You and, betcha. And, and unlike a one-time pad, uh, for a one-time pad to work, you have to have, make two copies. And there has to be a physical... Uh, transmission of one of the pads this doesn't require that it's algorithmic this exactly it uses very strong pseudo random sequence generation driven by a really long key a 384 bit key so that cannot be brute forced earlier on i mentioned that 
I, do, I am formally discouraging the use of a passphrase to generate the key. I'm only doing that at GRC to allow people to, to play with it. Yeah, to, exactly. Yeah. To play with it. You would because the 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 only attack that that would be known on this system would be to use a weak key that is a weak passphrase and do brute forcing of a right. passphrase to to hash that through the SHA-384 to generate a key and then try to find somebody's passcode sequence by brute forcing it. I mean, even that would be a lot of work, but that's the only weakness, which is why any real implementation will simply generate a 384-bit key at random, and then the only way it surfaces is through this sequence of passcodes, and there's just no way to reverse engineer there, that back to the key. So is there, there is still a handoff, though. There has to be something that is mutually understood, which is this initial key, yes? Well, no. Uh, the user never gets the key. The only thing they get is the when they've, exactly, when yeah. they've authenticated themselves to the server so and proven that they are who they say they are, then they can request that these passcode pages, the these, um, uh, well, yeah, the uh, passcode pages Be generated. Are, yeah. are, are, are presented on, on their Got web it. browser over an SSL connection, and then they print them, and then that's what they carry with them subsequently. So that's what – that and the SSL is nice because that there is that transmission, but that transmission is done over a known secure channel. Right, to a, to a known computer. For example, oh, I don't – Oh, that's right. They have to be authenticated first, yeah. Yes, they've got to be authenticated. And I do not, for the, again, for the sake of heightened security in my own implementation, I do not allow a roaming laptop to receive those uh -huh. pass cards. You've got to print it You're, locally first. You have to print it locally. And that's one of the other nice things about crossing them out is that it's very easy to see when you're nearing the end uh -huh. of, of your pass card mm -hmm. to, to remind yourself, oops, I better, you know, print some more. Right. But again, you're you're always able to print them. And, and that's that, that's one of the things I like about this system is it it's the the approach is it's a web friendly solution. You're, no one's having to mail you these pass cards in advance. You you anytime you want more, you say I want more, and <laughs> you know it says says okay here's your next. So now that you've now okay so if you're using the pass card, you can get it from a laptop now. Correct. I I'm now Sue Greg and I. So you now been now authenticated to such a degree that. You trust the laptop to, to print another set of cards. Oh, no, no. Um, you no, still have to um, go home to get the just, cards. Ju yeah, just, I mean, again, in my situation, because I do they have this notion. I do have this notion of a of a home IP right. versus a roaming IP. Right. In my particular implementation, I just decided, eh, let's just, you know, let's just not allow them to see pass cards when they're on the road. You've got to be home. And in fact, that's one reason it's nice to sort of print all three of these in a big chain is then you've got you've got 30 rows by by seven columns. Um, you've got 210 passcodes. They're going to last for a year. So I don't think I, I see anybody using these things up very fast. I'm very interested uh, in and we're going to do a question and answer session next week, but maybe the week following we could talk about using this or if you needed to use this for uh, back to my Mac, which is. Uh, something that I think is going to be a very cool feature of Leopard. We don't, we haven't seen it yet. Well, we'll see it tomorrow, but um, which allows you to, as long as your Macs are Leopard based, to find any of your Macs that are connected to .Mac 
and and get to them, display them. It's remote access, basically, built into the Mac. Uh, it uses it says it quote and this is the only problem is it says it uses password protection and advanced data encryption, but it doesn't give much detail on that. I'd be very well, my, curious. My, my guess is, Leo, it will not use one-time passwords, and yeah. that's absolutely what you want. Right. And and so it may if this allows you to you know if if the back to my Mac can accept a PAM plugin, then I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, if we can make this work. And if not, maybe we'll have some people who are implement love to it. Find my, out, yeah. Yeah, my guess is, I mean, I'm, I'm excited that this has already taken off beyond GRC, and we'll see where it goes. Well, I use SSH all the time, for instance, to access my web servers, and it's always the same passphrase. I'd love to use this, and I'm sure this is an easy thing to implement with SSH. Well, in fact, that is exactly what the guy who posted on GRC is yeah, doing. Yeah. He's using SSH, and uh, after he provides his username and password, he is then prompted for Fantastic. his passcode from from the perfect paper passwords. And it's a one time only. You cross it off. So yep, you, and you'll never that. use it again. And because and, I'm on, I use these things on hotel networks and so forth. I mean, it's SSL, so I, I don't worry too much. But it'd be nice to have that little extra bit of. Protection. And it's fun. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I know, it, it I is. It. You feel like a little sort of like a spy. So, yeah. oh, I got to type yeah. in colon Z-E-Y. <laughs> and I can have that in my wallet and it's perfect. Maybe laminate yep. it. That'd be great. Oh, no, you can't yep. laminate it because you got to cross it off. OK. Well, you could. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's just we'll and, and if they get worn and tattered, you say, oh, you know, you just print yourself another. Now, you know, you were also talking, Leo, about the inconvenience of what if my PayPal token right. is at home? I need to log in at right, work. Right. Well, now this is a double-edged sword because, of course, the fact that it's a physical thing means that you would know if it were stolen. You might know if someone, you know, looked at it or borrowed it. You have so, to have it for it to work. Right. But the flip side is you are able to print two copies of your perfect paper passwords ah. if if you deliberately wanted to put one in a secure location at the Good office point. so that you would know you know so so that if you but again this thing is so convenient i mean what, what who doesn't have their wallet with them right well, and that's so, why I like the cell phone method that my bank uses, because I always have my cell phone with me as opposed to right. the dongle, which I don't always have with me. Right. What a great idea, Steve. I think this is great. And what I'm really impressed with is that is that now it's kind of widely being starting to be widely adopted by by others who are implementing it in different fa- fashions. It's great. Yeah, again, it's just, you know, I'm not claiming that I, you know, this is some miracle, but it's just a very clean well thought out, sort of like soup to nuts in, in the download zip. I even provide all of the HTML templates and the CSS templates ah. that I, that my site uses that people can see, even though people could grab them themselves, you know, just, just right. by sucking them sure. off my server. Sure. You know, they're there saying, look, I've done all the work. It is easy to print these cards and, you know, and they work. Steve, you're getting perilously close to open source, dude. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. All right, Steve. Hey, uh, before we wrap this up, I want to remind everybody that uh, we are sponsored, as always, by Nerds On Site, our good friends up in uh, Canada. Well, they, they started in Canada, but they're now in U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, Singapore. Just shows you when an idea is a good idea, it spreads like, I don't want to use the word wildfire, but it does spread with a little sensitivity to our friends in Southern California, it does spread fast. Nerds on site needs more nerds. Now, this is, uh, it's its kind of, I mean, I guess the closest thing would be maybe a franchise or uh, perhaps a guild of IT professionals in every area, by the way. Not just 
on-site IT departments but des- and desktop support, but Soho and residential IT, PC, Mac experts, Cisco, Oracle, Fixit technicians, website designers, programmers, project managers, sales trainers, security experts, antivirus gurus, all of that. If you love fixing computers, tinkering with computers, getting technology to work, if this is your business already... You stay in business by your, for yourself, but not by yourself. That's the idea. You focus on your passion. They help you with running the business and with keeping up on the technologies. For instance, they are now a, an Astaro certified, an authorized Astaro solution provider, which means you can get a free Astaro certified administrator and Astaro certified engineer training, which is fantastic. Um, and they're vendor neutral, so it's not just Astaro. They do other security gateways, other UTM solutions. Really, they do it all. Find out more about Nerds on site. I think you'll be very impressed. I want to be a nerd.com is the website. If you're interested in, uh, in, in working with other people, b- growing your business, getting some help and making your business the best it can be, go to I want to be a nerd.com and register for a nerds only, no obligation meeting in your area today. I want to be a nerd. <laughs> I am a nerd.com. I want to be a nerd.com. We thank the good folks at Nerds on site for their support of security. Now, I can predict that they will also now have a certified roaming authentication perfect password generator. <laughs> what, don't you think they love you so much, Steve? I'm sure anything you do, they're going to implement. That would be really cool, actually. Wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Talk to Astaro, see if they want to adopt Maybe it. Maybe Astaro, too. Yeah. What? Who, let's, let's spread it everywhere. Steve is just, I tell you, it's uh, what's, what I like about Steve is not only does he, is he a theoretician, but he, he's practical too. He's, uh, he, it's security applied as well as uh, uh, theoretical. And that is what really makes this podcast, I think, especially useful. Steve, great job. Fascinating stuff. Um, and I can't wait to try implementing it in different uh, ways. I'd love to get an SSH and maybe a PAM module and everything. We'll get there. Next week, your questions, Steve's answers, uh, and uh, of course, uh, more security information, as always. Steve Gibson, a pleasure talking to you. If you want to know more, go to grc.com. Uh, if you go to grc.com slash security now, you'll find transcripts of this. You'll find Steve's show notes, including the zip file with all this information. Uh, you'll also get a 16 kilobit version, if you like, for the bandwidth impaired of this podcast. Uh, Steve provides that all for free at grc.com, along with dozens of really useful free security utilities like Shields Up, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator, Unplug and Pray, uh, and on and on and on. Um, and, well, and this this is one of them in a way, really. I mean, it's a da- it's not a download, but you can generate a little perfect password page for yourself. Well, you can see what what it looks like, and I'm hoping that by putting this demo together, I will encourage people to adopt it because yeah. you know that we need strong authentication, and this is a very strong, secure solution. You bet. One other thing we need. We need disk recovery and maintenance utilities like Spinrite. If you've got a disk drive, you need Spinrite. GRC.com. Steve, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on Security Now. Security Now.